Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Due to the graphic nature of some of the topics we will be touching on, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, everybody! We back. Welcome back to Eyes for Eye podcast. I'm one of your three lovely hosts. Oh, I'm back with Jules and Matt. Say hello. Hello, everyone. If you listened to this podcast before, right now, last week, or if you're new, welcome. This is part two. We have our amazing special guest, Gab, with us. Woo! Hello. We're so excited to have you back. If you haven't already, for real, go check out part one of this series where we dive into the statistics and some conversational points about school shootings, mass shootings, the framework for overlying themes of a lot of the cases we've talked about, at least what I'd like to consider this series to start to be, where we talk about some of the finer points of what's happened in America. I don't want to say political points, that's not what this is going to be. These are all brand focused. They're all hopefully going to be something we're an open discussion for. That's what we've had so far. That's what we want this podcast to be. As Lisa said, we're thrilled to have Gap back. We've done some really good discussing in part one already about some of the major things we've talked about here. And we're going to dive down deeper into these questions we have, as well as in part two here, talk a little bit about some of the more shocking and jarring cases that have occurred. School shootings that have occurred, I should say. We have actually to update these notes because we have a more recent one to add. The most confronting part about living in America, being raised in America, and having this happen so often is how, personally speaking, but I'm sure you guys and most of this fucking country can relate, how desensitized I am to these news. Obviously, Uvalde, Sandy Hook, those were a little more confronting than normal. One, because the sole amount of people who lost their lives, but to the ages. And I think that tells you enough. But the fact that I see pretty much on a daily basis that there was a mass shooting somewhere, and I'm able to not, I'm horrified. Absolutely, don't get me wrong. But I'm able to scroll by. It's another day. And it not completely shatter my whole entire week and my existence and the way I live my day-to-day life is very confronting to me and almost concerning. I It almost concerns me personally how 
desensitized I've almost become to this news cycle and to these horrible tragedies that keep unfolding. If nothing else, that should really wake people up. The fact that we can read about these horrible circumstances, these horrible crimes, these horrible murders on a week to week, if not daily basis, and it not still horrify us to the core. I just want to say that. Well said, darling. Well said. Would you do me a favor and dive in and start reading about some of these more tragic cases? Yeah, absolutely. As we touched on in part one, unfortunately, one that it seems everybody on the planet is familiar with, one that our country will hopefully never forget, is the massacre at Columbine High School. The Columbine High School shooting on April 20th, 1999, at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, occurred when two teens who we discussed earlier, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, which unfortunately, again, are names that most are familiar with, went on a shooting spree, killing 13 and wounding more than 20 others before turning their guns on themselves and committing suicide. The Columbine shooting was, at the time, the worst high school shooting in U.S. history. That's also one of the saddest parts of this at the time is a key word. The shooting prompted a national debate on gun control and school safety, as well as major investigation to determine what motivated the gunmen. And Lord knows if you've ever read anything, listened to anything, watched anything regarding Columbine, everybody seemed to be racking their brains to figure out what could have caused this. What could cause two teenage boys to walk into a high school and mass murder their classmates with seemingly no regard for human life, decency, or anything else? People blamed music, people blamed movies, people blamed TV shows. I know Gab might be able to chime in here in a minute about the music aspect of it, but it it was a frenzy. Again, I was saying... The gunman, Eric Harris, who was 18, and Dylan Klebold, who was 17 at the time, they are the two that perpetrated this crime. And arguably, this mass shooting event was the first in the chain reaction that we've unfortunately seen way too many times in this country. If you're not familiar with Columbine, I do implore you, our dear listeners, to, well, maybe we'll Maybe we'll probably go into some of these way more detailed in separate episodes, but these are quite fascinating cases. From part one, I know Gab was saying that if you really look at these cases and look at the meat behind, I I hate the way I'm phrasing this, the meat behind the gunmen. That sounds just, we're just meat bags. I don't know what I'm talking about. The, (laughs) The meat, the meat, the... What the fuck is it called? The substance? Meat and potatoes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, meat and gunmen, let's go with it. I'm behind you on this one. <laughs> but if you look at the psyche of these gunmen, and when Columbine happened, people were desperately trying to figure out how this could be, what could have caused this, what what, what would have set off this chain of events. Because every, everyone has to blame something. We can't just take things at face value, which I completely understand. Human beings need explanation for things to feel a little bit more secure. 
but it is a very, very sad case, Columbine. Again, we'll probably get into it in another again. Gab, we'll definitely have to have you back for when we really deep dive Columbine because it sounds you know an unbelievable amount about this case and you're passionate about it just we are. Yeah, and I'm very toxic. <laughs> what I think about too is the families of Eric and Dylan and how much they suffered after the fact, accepting the reality that their children did this. I was telling you guys, not only I own her book, but I also have a few times watched her TED Talk. Uh, Susan Klebold is the mom of Dylan Klebold. And she has, I, I was actually literally just watching it the other night. It's probably still pulled up. She did a TED Talk regarding this because she is the mother of arguably one of the most hated. The TED Talk is called, it's very straightforward name. My son was a Columbine shooter. This is my story. And her book that I also own is, and these are both things I do really think people should consume. And we could talk about why all day long, but her book that I have. A Mother's Reckoning is probably that. I have it and it's on my shelf and I haven't read it yet because I've read a really big Columbine book. That one I definitely want to read, but I need a break. And she's really, really well-spoken. I don't know if you guys have seen, and if you haven't, we need to have a virtual movie night or an in-person movie night, whichever y'all prefer. Have you guys ever seen the movie We Need to Talk About Kevin? It's one of my favorite movies. It's one of mine, too! Because of this shit! Yeah, it was loosely based off of of mine, but it's it's the dynamic between your parents. That's crazy. I don't want to spoil the the um, movie, but it is, is a really intense and very creepy and very well done movie. But in a way, even though it doesn't necessarily seem that was Susan Klebold's experience with her son, it's a really good movie. Very affluent life. That's another thing, yeah. too. The difference between Klebold and Harris. They came from an affluent town. Everybody seemed to be getting on. But Klebold specifically, if you see the properties his family had lived in now, it's huge. Three houses. They had a, it was gated. It had a pool. He was in the Boy Scouts. And he was always involved in activities that if you come from a lower SCS, you don't have access to. Whereas, and he was suicidal, right? Whereas Harris came from a military family. He was a military brat. And he moved around a lot. And there was no attachment for him no town to call his own. He had to change friends, family. There's no roots. And he was homicidal. That hits on to a great point. Getting back into the school shootings that unfortunately seem to be endless. Another notable one, which I'm sure most, again, just Columbine, are familiar with, is the shooting at Virginia Tech. On April 16th, 2007, 32 people. Let me repeat that. 30 two people died after being gunned down on the campus of Virginia Tech by Sang Lee Cho. He was a student at the college who, again, later died by suicide. Yeah, but that's an interesting point we also touched on on part one. Again, if you haven't listened, go check that out. But the idea that a, a good portion of these shootings happen by someone who then later takes their own life I think that's just fascinating in that 
Is it one of those things where it's, I have nothing to lose, so I lose nothing? You know, does that make these people even more dangerous because they just don't value life in any capacity? Yeah, you had mentioned in the last episode, I'm a surviving child. My dad ended his life. Sometimes there are people just in mental pain. It's not that they don't have anything to lose. They've got a lot to lose, but they don't feel worthy enough to keep it. They don't feel worthy of it. Psychology is great because this can go any way. And it's different every time. I've never come, not ever have I ever crossed one. I tell people, because I'm a surviving child, essentially I am a crisis counselor, I'm a therapist. I work with patients, have for years. It's my job. I can smell suicide. I can read it on your behavior. I can see when it's coming. But the most interesting thing about suicide, right, is methods of how we go about it. Somebody who takes pills is less suicidal than I would say somebody who chooses the method of using a gun to end their life. That we think back to the difference. We had Harris was homicidal. One was suicidal. Very rarely do people who are just suicidal act in such a manner. It's the people who are homicidal that want to inflict pain on others versus somebody who is depressed and sad is inflicting pain on themselves. But you look at the method. Besides just the gun aspect, there was the bomb aspect with Columbine. And they had made bombs. These were also teenagers going through puberty who were being bullied or they were social outcasts. But at the time, it was cool to be the outcast. <laughs> you know, you had people, Marilyn Manson, really trailblazing a way for you to exist, right? To be angry, to have teenage angst, to hate the world. When it comes down to why do we choose to be a shooter or not, it could be something that happened that day. It could be something over the culmination of time. But I do think that it had to have always been there. Something either triggers it or it's been there all along. I felt depressed. I wanted to eat two boxes of cheeses and sleep for four days. I didn't have the energy. I was tired. I was lethargic. I didn't have a fire burning in me to do anything, let alone get rid of my depression. Those are people who tend to turn inwards versus the homicidal factor. When you got to look at it two ways. Any mass shooter has some form of homicidal in them. We could say that they have very high risk behavior. But those signs are almost always there that we neglect to look at throughout their entire life. This is something just being a risk taker. Oh, that's just how Tommy is. Tommy's always loved to shoot cats with BB guns. But what we're looking at is somebody that as a child may have been inflicting pain or harming animals in some form as a precursor to eventually doing this to adults, to children, to humans. Other factors that are there too. Boys will be boys. Not showing any emotion, not connecting with you. It can go down to not getting intervention to social deficits as a kid. But that anger is there and it's strong enough as a fuel, a fire. The ego is taking control. I need to prove something. It goes back to what we had mentioned prior about that notoriety. In America, we idolize. What I love about this podcast is very different from others is you allow it to flow and you talk about issues, right? Versus other podcasts will break out a case study and they'll in depth, they'll want to profile, they'll want to look at evidence. That's even happening on TikTok now. This generation, the newest one was a Gen Z have, they're now falling into old cases, the Menendez brothers, right? They're like, Eric Menendez was molested. We've got to break them out. And they're exposing themselves to all of this evidence, all of this case, they're trying to crack the code. But the thing is about trauma and time is that time alters things. Now that we're looking at Columbine, we can never really predict or understand what was going through their heads because we weren't there in that moment. Moments after that event, it traumatically changed everything. It changed how we recalled it. It was magnified or it was minimized by some people. We'll never truly understand 
why people do what they do or what came first, the chicken or the egg, all that we could try to do is prevent it. But by preventing it, we run the risk of exposing millions of other people to the idea that you could do something this. That happened on 13 Reasons Why, which I don't know, listeners, I hate that show. I hate that show. It's the worst. I love Selena Gomez. You're great. Uh, I hated it. Okay. First of all, somebody who creates 13 tapes to give to people as to why they committed suicide. To me, that's the most manipulating thing you could ever possibly do. You did it for maybe attention. We should, she may have been borderline. So, but part of that was sodomy they introduced in the locker room. They had sodomized one of the, bullied somebody by using a mop or something. I was like, they just made the biggest mistake of their lives because what was contained to just a town was now mass produced and interpreted by the media and spit out it gave the idea that you can sodomize a kid on your baseball team in the bathroom. Sure enough, months later at Erasmus High, it hit the news. So we won't know why, but the driving leading factor is not depression. The depression comes after if you don't actually end your life. Somebody who's shooting up a school is either A, going to end their life as a fuck you. <laughs> you can't punish me. I did what I did and there's no going back. Or they don't want to face the consequences of their actions. Remember, antisocial people lack remorse and guilt. It usually starts as conduct disorder as a teenager. And conduct disorder is just issues with authority. They don't have to be told what to do. They don't have to be held by the law. They think their actions are just. Yes, they will absolutely kill themselves. There's no argument to anybody else. But then there's another cohort that won't that will do media appearances and be on the cover of the Rolling Stone. <laughs> now, if you are somebody who's never been seen, never been heard, or maybe you were fairly popular, but you wanted to be more popular on a wide stream, mainstream, viral sensation, and a big fuck you to the man, you're absolutely going to do a mass shooting and not kill yourself. So yeah, there's just many driving components. That's very interesting. That's so interesting. Because it, you're right, it is mainly one of those two components. It's either a big old Fuck you. I don't have anything left to say here. I just did my last great act and I'm out. Or I just don't want to deal with what I just did. Maybe. I don't know. I hope in their last moment, those people think that as opposed to the old. I suppose you. you can only hope. But getting back to Virginia Tech really quick, just to get into these a little bit more. What's crazy? Again, when I was trying to look up the shooter, how, how to pronounce the shooter's name appropriately, which is Sung Wee Cho. I found that I forgot that Virginia Tech had another shooting. It looked almost a copycat. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another report that oh, yeah. with the media. You're right. It's one of the biggest things about mass shootings. So, and I, I learned this on my own, actually. Do you guys know Fight Club, of course? The book, all right? I love, yes. In the book, the original copy of Fight Club, they taught you essentially how to make a nitroglyceric bomb. All of the materials were laid out. When they adapted that to a movie, they changed it because what they had said is, Essentially, readers are smart enough not to go out and to do this, but people who don't know how to read, that only watch movies, more people will watch the movie than read the book. And the copycat killers are a very real thing. A, a creepy one at that. It's more of an idolizing thing, a shrine to <laughs> their driving factor is obsession, <laughs> but it's almost used as a taunt too. People will use copycat methods to, even though that one person is stopped. I mentioned back to the cooling down period. A known fact, serial killers, any form of killer that gets off, somebody sadistic, gets pleasure, especially sexual gratification from the act, 
will go into a depressive period. In that depressive period, it's called a cooling down period, where the fantasy that they created in their head and the method and the mission that they created that they had to execute doesn't actually give them the same intense satisfaction as just their fantasy itself. It's not as good. They hit a depressive wall. In many senses, you may think somebody who killed somebody is depressed. They very much be because of that. But yeah. Yeah, it's wild. On April 16, 2007, at 7.15 a.m., when Cho, who was 23 and was a senior at the time, he was an English major at the Blacksburg-based Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University, he shot a female freshman and a male resident assistant in a campus dormitory before fleeing the building. Police were soon on the scene, unaware of the gunman's identity. However, they initially pursued the female victim's boyfriend as a suspect in what they believed to be an isolated domestic violence incident, which is a really interesting note. However, at around 9.40 a.m., Cho, armed with a 9mm handgun and a 22 caliber handgun and hundreds of rounds of ammunition, entered a classroom building, chained and locked several main doors, and went from room to room shooting people. Approximately 10 minutes after the rampage began, he died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Again, 32 people were murdered that day. It's a wonder that anyone ever leaves their house. Living in Brooklyn, people ask me all the time, are you scared? No, a comedian had said there could be a homeless man with his pants down, butt naked with a severed head. And you're like, not my head, <laughs> not, not my homeless butt, not my monkeys, not my circus thing. I heard something once which really resonated. It is, yes, he, we had 9-11 here. And it was fucking traumatic. It shaped the entire rest of my life. But that wasn't what desensitizes. We, we, we've been desensitized for a really long time. What somebody had said once in New York, we don't have physical space, which I'm sure you've seen those videos that are like, one bedroom apartment, $3,000, a cubbyhole. In New York, we don't have physical space. We give each other psychological space, which I thought, wow, that's completely right. A lot of us give people psychological space. I can tell you for a fact, if somebody has PTSD and OCD, my therapist said, if you feel you're not talking to somebody who's as intelligent as you are, you're completely dissociated. Which, as she was telling me that, because I am a clinician myself, I dissociated. And I was like, look at you helping me, you know? That was the most mind-blowing thing, is that we're all in our own little world all the time. We could pretend that mass shootings didn't happen yesterday until it becomes where you can't escape it kind of thing parkland we talked about briefly a cousin of mine went to this school and was a student when this happened unfortunately thank god he is okay but unfortunately as we'll talk about that is not the case for a lot of people that he knew now on february 14 2018 an expelled student entered parkland florida's majory stoneman douglas high school and opened fire, killing 17 people and wounding 17 others. What became, at the time, the deadliest shooting at a high school in United States history. Dressed in a maroon shirt adorned with the school logo, Nicholas Cruz exited his Uber outside the campus at 2.19 p.m. He approached the school wearing a backpack filled with magazines and carrying a black duffel bag packed with his legally purchased AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. 
Cruz entered the high school's freshman building on campus, which was mostly filled with freshman students. At 2.21 p.m., he unpacked his rifle in a stairwell. According to NBC Miami, freshman Chris McKenna, who was 15, spotted Cruz there and received a chilling warning from the gunman. You better get out of here. Things are going to start getting messy. Cruz exited the stairwell into a first-floor hallway, firing a stream of bullets down the corridor, shattering windows and shooting through doors. In just under two minutes, I want to emphasize that, in just under two minutes, two minutes is all this took, he murdered 11 people and injured 13 others. He then headed up the stairs He was on the second floor for less than a minute, firing but hitting no one, before going to the third floor where he killed his last six victims and injured four more in the final 45 seconds of the attack. Guys, again, we could talk about semantics all day long, but this is crazy to me that you can kill that many people in such a short amount of time with these weapons, but for some reason, having them in your gun safe, I hope, in your house is more important than the damage that they can do. Such a small amount of time. In the time it took me to read this paragraph, this paragraph about Parkland, this kid had already killed 17 people. Think about that. That's what I'm saying. I don't have a strong opinion on pro or anti-gun. That's one of my toxic traits. I don't make a strong opinion about anything. But I just don't feel that anyone needs these type of weapons, these assault. You said it was an AR-15. Unnecessary. You're not unnecessary. That's all I can say about that. Again, it just seems to be one of those situations where unless people see firsthand what this does to what especially an AR-15 what that does to somebody's body I don't think anyone's gonna care and that's sick and sad and twisted and all messed up and it shouldn't take that but unfortunately we live in hell at the moment and it's never-ending cycle of absolute insanity when the Uvalde victims family said that they wanted to have open caskets for essentially the body parts left of their kids, their young kids in an elementary school solely because they wanted the world to see this is not a joke, this is not a political pawn, this is not some weird political way to scare you into letting up your guns. These are my family members, and this is what happened to them. I need you to see that. It's it almost is shocking and disturbing, disgusting that it is. It feels that genuinely might be the only way this freaking country wakes up. It's just disturbing because again, even since you've all the twelve mass shootings have happened since, and I believe a mass shooting is categorized anything over three, which one is too many. It's semantics at this point. Now we're talking about one of the most infamous cases. One of the ones that most of the world was sure would get the ball rolling on having to need something done about this. 
one of those cases where now we can look back and say, if we didn't care then, it's nothing is ever going to change. We're talking about the horrifying and somewhat controversial and Lord knows there's conspiracy theories around it. We're talking about Sandy Hook. December 14th, 2012, Sandy Hook, Connecticut, which is perhaps the most horrifying up until now. These are all horrifying. It's just, I don't know. It's just disgusting. It makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah. Two-part episode. We all have to practice self-care after this. Whatever you do, no judgment. Whatever your vices, man. <laughs> you know, with all of your listeners all the time, just being mindful because... I won't lie, when we were talking, I, I heard magazines and immediately my thing was like, to dissociate. Then I came back to you real quick and then you started reading time and I dissociated again. I do that as, you know, clinician. I work in prison, right? I have to be able to protect myself. I already have PTSD, but yeah, a lot of what you're saying, it's just, it, I hope it doesn't fall onto deaf ears, but also like, I know that it will. <laughs> and it's something that your listeners have to appreciate because it's not easy to talk about it. It's exhausting. I've watched your energy go from being on point to droning into it. It wears on you a lot. It, it really does. I hope that that is palpable to the audience too, because they said, I feel one of the most dangerous things that could happen is what is already occurring. Is, is that us getting desensitized to this, right? To see another shooting and the first thought be, oh my God, not again. Not, oh my yeah, God. Before he asked me, there was a shooting in New York in the subway. And it's right near our house, 15 minutes. But I wasn't the least bit bothered. I've always been fairly desensitized to things, you know. But yeah, it's gotten worse. Because I'm a therapist and I therapize myself 24-7, as any anxious person does, is constantly therapize yourself. Something came up to me where I felt, I felt nothing. I felt a void. And I was, ooh, ooh, I can't. Something can't be ignored. <laughs> the fact that I don't feel anything, this is a problem. Gonna hash that out with my therapist <laughs> and go figure that out. That's huge for our listeners because reading about this content, researching this content, seeing it on the news is one thing, but then having it rehashed to you again is another. You're right in that, in that people need to take a beat and really let it affect them and then and then deal with make sure you're taking the steps to protect yourself and to care yeah. for yourself like the example of that is for me i mentioned i'm a very very open person when it comes to mental health yes i'm a licensed counselor yes i tell my patients too hey blind in the blind here let's do it essentially i have ocd things loop that was a childhood thing with ptsd yeah, there's triggers. You can't control them. They're everywhere. Even trigger warnings are triggering. That was what I spoke about with Playboy or it was Bitch Magazine, something like that. But I know can't watch things. Footage and stuff. We shouldn't be resharing footage of tragic events. Surveillance cameras. That's not what the news shouldn't be showing you that. We shouldn't have Columbine security footage. Granted, it was the first one. I get it. But we shouldn't be rewatching and exposing ourselves to footage. And then for, for me, it sucks because I'm such a true crime buff, sleuth all the way. It's essentially my job. When your passion and your hobby come together, whatever, working, it's beautiful. But it was getting to the point where I was, I'm overexposing myself unnecessarily. I'm digging way down this, eh, we'll say 2.30 in the morning. If I can't sleep, I'm struggling. I'm watching TikTok videos of people being found after being missing for 30 years and really dark psychology shit. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Until I realized there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. but. You just have to be mindful. If you're a teacher, she mentioned she was a teacher. You cannot jump right into this stuff because you're getting secondhand exposure from the kids you work with. Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. It's a huge thing. And I'm glad that your podcast is hitting on it. 
Thank you. That makes me really happy. But also, I, it's we live. I said we live in hell on earth, real life. How like this is we're going down. But getting into Sandy Hook again. These are all just draining in a million different ways, but very specifically this one because of the vitriol and conspiracy theories and everything under the sun that came out after this when you would think again that this would be the case that would wake up the world and and get some change in order this is perhaps the most horrifying school shooting at the time and it just sucks so bad to think that if we were recording this a month ago this probably still would be one of the most horrifying now we have a new a new most horrifying it feels like it's constantly happening that way. Whatever frequency's picking up. At this point in time, there was a larger gap, which is why I keep touching back to that trial by media, the notoriety, because it is exposing millions of people, the newer generations. Hey, you can do this. You want to be known? You want to give it to the man? Do this, right? Ties back to, yes, we're destigmatizing mental health, but are we practicing trauma-informed care? I just want to snap to that. That was. When a child comes in and I get a child patient, which I don't often, I've had the same patients for eight years. But when I take one and the parents bring their kid in, no, Timmy's a problem. Oh, Timmy's the identified patient. Timmy, they think Timmy's a problem, but there's systemic issues all over the place. Parents and the siblings on a greater scale of things. That's the problem because we keep approaching it in the last episode that you had said where it's very black and white. A bad person would do this. A mental ill person would do this. Not my son, Timmy. Just with the crack epidemic, it didn't matter until it was heroin. It was infiltrating your family. It was your daughter and it was Billy and Susan. That's how America works. It, it's If it didn't happen to personally affect you, you don't care about it. By the time it does, the people it has happened to have made peace with it. They've accepted that nothing's going to change. They've lost their stamina. They're tired. You'll never really get everybody to rally together unless there's a school shooting in all 50 states at the same damn time. And it's honestly exactly what I think, to be honest, too. So, yeah, this is just. Like, Lisa, before you jump back in, yeah, what you just said is true about how people either accept and move on very quickly or just become part of that acceptance that, that they, they just say you know what it happened to me or it could happen to me i'm not going to do anything about it i'm not going to change anything i'm just here now this is america I yeah we're all you know. going through something <laughs> whether it's all at the same time or it's separate it's just some things are more important to people on some days versus others you know but then you just have people other antisocial people who don't truly care, <laughs> right? They just care because they see that other people are caring about it. That's when it starts to die out. You see those posts, you see people rallying together, and then it sort of quiets down when the credit's been given. Oh, they participated, but not enough. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yep. 
So true. Shortly after 9.30 a.m., 20-year-old Adam Lanza shot through a plate glass window next to Sandy Hook's locked front entrance in order to gain access to the school. Hearing the noise, the school principal and school psychologist went to investigate and were shot and killed pretty instantly by Lanza, who was armed with a semi-automatic rifle, two semi-automatic pistols, and multiple rounds of ammunition. Lanza also shot and wounded two other Sandy Hook staff members. He then entered two first-grade classrooms where he gunned down two teachers and 15 students in one room and two teachers and five students in the other. The children Lanza murdered, 12 girls and eight boys, were six and seven years old. Twelve first-graders from the two classrooms survived. When Lanza heard the police closing in on him, he, again, we've seen in a routine that we talked about earlier, He killed himself in a classroom at approximately 9.40 a.m. Police soon learned that sometime earlier that morning, before arriving at Sandy Hook, Lanza had shot and killed his 52-year-old mother at their home. She owned the weapons her son used in the deadly rampage. If I'm not mistaken, I believe she also was an employee or was a prior employee at Sandy Hook. We're talking about six and seven-year-olds, which feels we're in fucking Groundhog's Day because... This just happened two weeks ago at Uvalde. It's just, I don't know. It's just so disturbing. That's the Hallmark case because of the ages of the victims. Which, again, it shouldn't really matter because these are all children, regardless if they're 18 or if they're two. But because of the age of the Sandy Hook victims, you would think that would have woken somebody up. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. It doesn't. We live in a country that hates pedophiles, but we have no interventions to stop them, to correct, to rehabilitate, to control. There's many people that you meet, even strangers that have been molested in their life and there was no intervention by it. Do we really love children or are children a way of sustaining the population? Are children a way of securing the future? You'd think we'd do a lot for children, but there's more kids in foster homes that are abusive. I, I don't expect anything less, unfortunately, from our country. This one was really um, difficult for me. I was a senior in college and student teaching and had third grade students at that time. That was really, I remember it was my mom called me. It was a whole big deal. I didn't go out that night. I needed a moment to process. But now Uvalde happened. I'm not teaching anymore, but I'm not getting phone calls. And that's not a, a dig at my mother, but it's more to our or comment before, it's something just, we don't have the shock value, we're desensitized, just terrible. And and all children are innocent, even if they're a-holes. I taught for seven years, there are children who are- They're definitely a-holes. Right. <laughs> You're definitely paying the yeah. The person that entered into an elementary school wanted way more shock value than Klebold and Harris ever did. I don't even think that Klebold and Harris wanted shock value. That was just what they were there to do. Yeah, it has a different level of, I don't want to say severity, I don't want to say cruelty, but acting out against your peers who have bullied you and done X, Y, Z versus acting out, you know, I'm looking at the thing now. 20, you're 20 years old, you're going in and shooting up an elementary school. It just, there's a disconnect there. It's very troubling. Sure the fuck is. Before we get too graphic, let's go into some of the criminal psychology behind this. We've already, 
talking a lot about it. We could honestly probably just skip over this part, but it's important to at least note. Um, we're thrilled to have Gab here today to talk with us about it because these horrifying cases on a deeper level, we of course need to try and lend some insight, psychological makeup of some of the perpetrators in these cases. Now, we talked a little bit about them saying they're typically either students of the school or have some affiliation with the school. My question is, though, what generally do we look for as far as consistencies in these school shooters? Sociopathy, psychopathy, it's, you said schizophrenia already, you mentioned Gab, is not one that you normally see. Everybody can weigh in on this. Is there anything else we should point to as far as clinical diagnoses and having a warning sign? Something to be able no. to look out for? No, other than I mentioned in childhood, the hurting of animals, um, disrespect for authority, oftentimes maybe getting in trouble with the law. But I have to say, there's a common theme, which tends in America to be a white male. Common theme at times tends to be an affluent white male. You have to think it's they have access. A lot of the times you hear, you know, the bullying aspect, they kept to themselves. They were the social outcast. But then you have a whole new cohort that is they were popular and they were involved in school and they were doing really well or they had average grades kind of thing. I don't want to give anybody's hopes up that you can identify this isn't the one for sleuths. It could be anybody at any point in time with the right access, with the right amount of anger. Kids who are hurt at home, they tend to just, again, internalize. Right. Sometimes something doesn't have to happen for you to, to feel and act that way. With the Klebolds, I remember reading that they were getting really into sci-fi and they were doing things that teenage kids do, create videos. When I was a kid, I used to recreate Mike's Super Short Show. Theirs just happened to be wearing trench coats, men in black. And you know, I haven't heard Mike's Super Short Show. In Banger. Banger. Super Short Show? Maybe. Yes, least Exactly. Maybe 17, 18 years. That's a great throwback. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Phil of the future. Ricky Allman loved him. Yeah. Uh, I'm all about it. You see teenage boys with a video camera and you don't think anything of it. Then you, you see kids in trench coats and yeah, they may be a little off or they keep to themselves, but there's a whole goth culture that comes with it. Parents who say they don't see anything, they can either be completely uninvolved parents, but with every passing year, kids get better at hiding stuff. Kids get better. Remember when we were on the internet and we had dial up for the life, your parents couldn't figure it out. Well, we were talking to strangers in the chat room on AIM, adding people that we didn't know. Your parents had probably no idea 300 of your friends you met in the sex chat. You know, it's just one of those things that I don't think that we'll ever be able to properly identify. There's no box for this one. There's with every time we publish it and every time it hits the news, it's, it's interpreted completely different. It could be to new ears, deaf ears, but it's impacting us, you know, and it looks what it seems is that it's intensifying. We now have an elementary school, right? There is competition among those who decide to be school shooters and serial killers. Creepiest thing, torso killers, do you know that they're actually super competitive and that they, if they end up killing somebody or leaving the torso or the, one of the body parts in the same plot of land, it like starts an all-out fucking war and they literally start to kill people around them. It's insane. But you want to be better than the next. You have to be able to be better than Columbine that's now we're still talking about it today. You need to be textbook worthy and with every event it's happening you had a kid at the second virginia tech 
now that you're breaking down the timing of it, this kid practiced it in the school. How quickly can I get from stairwell to stairwell? At this point, the second floor, he was probably just, his anxiety probably kicked in, right? What did I just do? Oh my God, they're going to come for me. I got to act quick. Missed everybody. Third floor, he's back in the game. I, this is in my lasting moments to make an impression. You know, I don't think that there's a box that you can fit into. Would I say maybe from a general area? Yeah. Seems to be happening down south or in more conservative states, more affluent states at that. Kids that are rich and have access to money, you can get anything. Anything, money buys anything. Versus maybe a lower SES kid being on the streets with gang violence. Their fight is completely different. One is a fight for survival and one is a fight to essentially end it all. That's a great point. Wow. I thought you said it too. When these kids actually, when you boil it down, there there's certain commonalities, but it's case by case, everything else. Yes. There's always that level of competition. It's who's going to be, who's going to be the next big one we talk about. Based on that, a lot of these kids are, and again, whether it be via an incel chat, whether it be via a dark website, something where people are just commuting to talk about these things, kids are getting influenced by these things all the time. We even go back to every fucking Lifetime movie now, every Netflix special, 13 Reasons, all these things. There's these themes are played out. I don't think it's a bad thing that we talk about this. I'm not one of those people that say, blame the mania, blame all these kids, see. But I do actively believe that kids are becoming more and more used to these things happening. Therefore, it's not difficult for them to dismiss it. Say, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, we live with it. Deal with this. It becomes an option too. Somebody else did it. Why can't I? It's different from, for example, serial killers, sadistic serial killers. You know what you're looking for because they have they have a method, right? It's textbook, the stalking, right? The identifying of their victim, that they have certain techniques that they use to be able to catch a trail. But even Ted Bundy in, there's a really good movie. It's my favorite Ted Bundy movie because it doesn't glorify him at all. He's average looking. He's not that cool, but it's called Fear No Man. He essentially tells the detective, he uses this example that's when you go fishing, you get the small fish, right? You catch the small fish. And it's because the bigger fish let you, right? The bigger and the biggest fish, they know how to not get caught. They sacrifice the little and the medium fish. They let the other ones mess around and get caught. Beyond the school shooters that you're seeing, as bad as they are, can you imagine what else is going on to those that don't do something that makes the media? There's a sociopath next door. You just won't know. It's different than a serial killer who's targeting just, they have their own type, blonde, female, you know. Ted Bundy's looked at his partner. It's just with mass shooting, are they going to shoot up a school? Is it going to be in a field? You can't predict that. You, there's no way to tell. We look at victimology a lot with serial killers too. We're saying there is no victimology with school shooters oftentimes. It's sometimes people they knew. Sometimes it's random. But there's no demographic you can point to. Like, this was their target more likely than this based on where they yeah, shot. Yeah, it only gets spicy when they give someone a heads up. The difference... When they had told Brooks not to come, right? That was a relationship that was built already. That was a relationship that was built already. They were best friends. They were friends with this Brooks boy. We can understand that they were mad and they let him go. But now look at that Virginia Tech. That was the first time I was hearing that. He looked at somebody and said, you should get out of here. It's going to get really messy. That sounds a line you use right before Scarface. That's your last line. And he chose, you better get out of here. It's going to get real messy. Do you think he cared about sparing this person's life? He wanted to add to his notoriety. Yeah. And that intent becomes completely different than Columbine. 
That gives me chills. In fact, oh, sick fucker. Because we're talking about it now. We're only adding to it. Yeah. But I do want to say one thing that all these killers did share in their background, and we have to shed a little bit of light on to get some more context for these shootings, is that they all suffered some form of psychological abuse or bullying, something that was going on in their personal lives that led to Cleveland, Harris, Joe, Cruz, and Lanza all losing grasp of their sanity momentarily, we think. Each had their own motives, reasons, and victims, of course, but what elements of these crimes are congruent that we can tie together? Is there anything we can say that we can point to? I, I can think of one immediately that jumps out at me, and that's the choice of weapon. But other than that, is there anything else that we can point to? Again, it goes back to tends to be a white person. But yeah, the choice of weapon, but also the access. What the hell? How come in no story do they ever say we caught him trying to get a gun once? They just literally just, and one was legally owned. Yeah. Adam Lynn. <laughs> yeah, one was legally owned. That's true. All the more terrifying then, honestly, that we can't, between us, sit here and think of anything that we can point to. Other than the fact that they might have been bullied, which I was bullied. I know a lot of people who were. A lot of friends of mine went through some serious shit. And I think, honestly, if you can only point to that, that's half the kids in America these days are experiencing something. You'll never be able to know. And it could be your kid. Your kid could yeah. be in the greatest day of their life but when hormones come in or something else happens without lack of, without intervention. Every kid should be in therapy. But obviously, generational, your parents may not agree with it. In order to have them, to put you into therapy or to even validate how you're feeling, they'd have to already maybe accept that something may be wrong with them. Or... They usually oscillate to the next, which is, I'm a bad parent. This is reflective of me. So, oh, hell no, there's nothing wrong with you. That's the thing. It wasn't until the pandemic where a lot of us realized our job could be done at home. We work a lot. Have you ever realized how much you actually worked or how much time you spent going to work? You're not around your kids. You're not really actively present with them. I, I think that for a lot of people, this pandemic, they you know, learned a lot of shit about their kids that they were, whoa, hold on. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. But the downside to that is kids also learned how to be more secretive. <laughs> You're living in close quarters. True. Very true. Even just by nature, teenagers are guys. I didn't tell my parents. Ever. No, I hate teenagers. I never want to be a teenager again. <laughs> oh, God. When people say, yo, I miss high school. I'm like, dog, listen, there was a lot of cool things about high school. Being a teenager was not one of them. Having to deal with that shit where, dude, you used to have to ask for rides to go places. That's the interesting part is. When you talk about mass shooting, that, right, we've agreed it's fascinating, not for the wrong reasons. But now we're talking about teenagers and guys, teenage mass shooters are the worst. Yeah. The most common are 17, 16, and 15 years old. They're young kids who are shooting. Even if you hear about these shootings that are gang-related or drug charges related or just a violent... It's not a mass shooting that, though. And it's, it just doesn't... No, but I'm saying they're often perpetrated by teenagers. You hear about these shootings and it's, yo, yeah, it was a 17-year-old, it was a 16-year-old, it was a 14-year-old. I, I feel at that point that that full development, especially for males, doesn't really occur yet. They act out violently because that's the first thing they can think to do. Nobody fights anymore. Your brain, as a kid, I felt like the universe was conspiring against me. Oh, I was Same. pissed. Yeah. When bad things happen to you in life. It is completely normative for you to question everything. Question your friends. Question yourself. Question God. The relationship you maybe have got with God. God sucks. Why would God take my grandma from me and 
Why wouldn't you just make her feel better instead of robbing? You're constantly, there's studies that show you don't actually grow up until you're 35. Yeah. At 25, you hit this quarter life crisis. It's called your years of exploration. But up until then, your life is lined up for you. You're in high, middle school, you go to high school. Very mundane, very mundane. That's when being a teenager, you create the excitement for yourself. You know? Follow a track. Your track is determined for you. You're on that track. Rebellion, rebellion, mutiny. Okay. Your parents don't understand you. And then you do click with people who are group think, maybe telling you to do some of the most heinous things. Yeah, great point. A lot of people, especially people I knew that I grew up with, a lot of people who got into trouble for things that they did, it was more like somebody talked me into it. Some older person or somebody I was dating or somebody I was real cool with talked me into doing this. Even if I ended up doing it on my own, eventually it was the first time I tried it or the first time I did it. That's what got me started because you're so easily influenced at that age. I'm just going back through it and because this is what's really stuck in my mind is with predicators we have with serial killers, there are things we can point to, but school shootings seem to happen across this country unmistakably. It's affected everywhere. It seems from my research, at least as though the demographics of both victims and school shooters, although we can say that they're most often male and white males more often than not, but it takes place everywhere in any community, any state. I'm wondering what can we say makes this just an American problem? I know we talked about this, but it seems America doesn't really recognize that it, this is a uniquely American problem. Yes, it's a uniquely American problem, but with, again, with the 50 states, everybody stands where they stand. We're the most divided country. I don't think you see that in other countries, division. I don't think that you see as much racism, whether it's to your own race or to somebody else's, beyond healthcare and all of those things, or even access or, I don't, there's more of a united front within a culture in America's, it, it's a melting pot of cultures. But there was a point after 9-11 where we all just lived amongst each other and it didn't, it's not that we didn't see color, we acknowledged and we respected. But we're getting to a point where at the end of the day, there's so much division and it just keeps being fueled and fueled and divided and divided. And that's why we see it. If we're being raised in a country that's completely divided and you may have one fat side of your family that's you sit down to the table, don't tell Uncle Pat about what you said. Don't bring this up at the table. We're told to stray away from these things. You just stay where you're at. There's no growth with it is moving towards a generation, Generation Z, the, that they're pushing more towards it. But I was wonder if it's like a trend. Is it trendy to do you really care? Is it a trend? But I can't imagine it's happened and it's allowed to happen. If somebody commits a crime, but they don't get caught, they keep doing it. If there's no suitable punishment and we continue to approach this issue with the same tenacity as the other, and now it's little children, we're basically sending a message to our own country. You can do whatever you want. This goes to Matt's first noted question that a bulk of the school shootings in American history, which is crazy to think about, happened in 2021. Why do we think that is? What can we say about the next generation of students that this is, I feel preparing for the next school shooter is almost as common as going to recess now. I wonder, what does that mean for our kids? We're dealing with the traumatic aftermath of a pandemic. Nobody had ever dealt with the disease, not since the influenza, Spanish flu. 
After the Spanish flu, it took about 10 years for the country to return back to normalcy. People still were hesitant to leave their houses. We went blindly into this pandemic thinking it would just be six weeks or a month or two months. Even today, I'm sure that everybody listening and us here, I'll be like, oh, I saw you last year. And they're like, Gap, it's been three years. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. In my head, I already have PTSD. My time is warped. And I'm sitting here like, that was three years ago. Now, imagine what that's like for a child, <laughs> for an adolescent. Time back to when we were kids, the, you were bullied on the internet, but you just had to log off. Social media was something you only got to do if you had internet access and if your parents let you be on the computer. You know, you, had, you didn't have open access to it. Now, the internet is in our palms 24-7. We're seeing a lot of adolescents and children that are connected with their devices. I delete all my texts, right? If I lose my phone, I'm not worried. I delete my text out of form of confidentiality. I've had teenagers lose their phone and break down and cry, and they're depressed and they're sad. They have a panic attack because their whole life is their phone. And with that comes open access to bullying, open access to the internet. How they say, if you think you got an STD, don't Google it. You're going to find out you got cancer. Imagine what a kid who's typing into Google goes by a machine gun. <laughs> what would populate for them or how to be a mass shooter? All they got to do is find a Reddit thread, you know, that that has completely altered. It's going to pick up. There's going to be an increase and there's going to be an intensity for quite a while because we're just finding some sense of normalcy. It'll never be what it was, but it'll be semi-normal to where we'll cope. But you're going to see a lot more murders, a lot. There's been people locked in their house for two years. Kids have been locked in their house. They're deprived of learning, <laughs> essentially. That two years was crap. No kid did anything. They didn't learn anything. They did take nothing away. A lot of conflict created in homes because of it. Kids were exposed to that. We're going to continue to see that. It's going to happen. With that being said, do you think that school counselors, teachers, administration, security, do you think they could do anything more or better or more refined to protect their kids? They need help. Yeah, I did. Teachers or any provider should be a trauma-informed professional. You cannot take care of somebody if you cannot take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you are of no use to anybody. We live in a culture where we want to help everybody, but when you help people all the time, it's actually a disservice not only to that person because they don't learn how to do shit, but it's a disservice to you because now you're burnt out. We need more training. We also need more funding. <laughs> they need more. If a mother could not control her four-year-old kid in the house during the pandemic, times that by 34, whatever an average classroom size is right now, imagine that with one teacher and without funding, or if you have funding, you maybe get a, a, another teacher, a para, <laughs> a co-teacher, if you're lucky. Still, now you're trying to navigate that child's trauma that they came in before the pandemic, but now they're crazy behavioral issues, their inability to, to hold attention for longer periods of time. It's, it's a joint effort. Parents need to lean in. Schools need to be educating parents, educating their staff. They have the funding. They have the access. They should be teaching parents. They should be teaching kids. What the fuck just happened to them? <laughs> what the hell is that? I love watching videos about pandemic babies, but then sadness seeks into me. Why are they happy about an escalator? <laughs> you know, they've never seen a dog before. That in itself is a deficit. But it's not what teachers or guidance counselors. My guidance counselor just helped me make sure I took the credits I needed and sent me on my way. I never got no counseling. But we should create more of an open environment where teachers should not be afraid to say that they're struggling. Parents, the same. 
we shouldn't live in a culture where you got to do everything and you have to have it together all the time. Even as a therapist, I constantly fight. I have to stay human versus being a clinician. In turn, I end up therapizing myself. It's a lot. We don't get to take our work home with us. Now, your work probably is hybrid and you're, or you're still working at home and it's taken away the only peaceful damn environment you had that education needs to happen and that a lot of normalizing of things needs to happen. What do you think the best way? This also really goes to the whole Columbine situation that we were talking about, how, and even the Boston bombings with him being on the Rolling Stone cover. What do we think the role the media has in these cases? Do you think there are some countries who will not put mass shooters' names out at all ever? Yeah, yeah, protective factor against those seeking the attention. Another thing I will say is media has ev- to do with everything. The way that the media responds in crisis is essentially how you yourself will respond in crisis. If a news anchor is experiencing that moment with you in real time and there's panic, you are going to panic also. There's a difference between reporting in real time because obviously you can't control what's going around you and it's just it's live and it's happening in the action. But when we start to look back and to delve on these cases and to dig in for the juicy bit and the, the piece that sells, that's when we lose sight of what's actually happened. A lot of these cases, I'm sure if we looked into the background of these kids, something went wrong somewhere, whether we know about it or that kid is taking it to the grave. Something happened, right? Whether it was, I said they were born this way, but the, but a lack of inf- intervention happened. And in many ways, like you've been failed. You've been failed by a system that probably should have noticed something along the lines to be able to help you. But with the media, I was featured, I think Bitch Magazine, I spoke on Harvey Weinstein, where I spoke about having trigger warnings, but trigger warnings are triggering because <laughs> now you're triggered because something's going to happen. But one thing that I had hated and, and I discussed is, Harvey Weinstein, a slang term came about that was they've been Weinsteined. They've been Cosby'd. We're every time that we speak about a killer or we try to delve into their defend them or to get to know them or to really give them any airway is a complete disservice and dishonest disrespect to their family and to the victims because we should be speaking about the victims. We should not be speaking about the mass shooter. That was my argument was every time we fall into that trend or that culture, curiosity kills the cat. That's what gets people, it gets people going because it's provocative. And that's what I feel like we stay on. If they want to see what's going to keep viewers, right? What is going to be the tidbit that gets the magazines to sell? At the end of the day, a lot of those facts are distorted. If you look back at some documentaries, they're They even go back to say, oh, we missed that fact check. Sometimes even the way that we're conveying and the language we use is makes it worse than it was or less than it is. So, yeah, it has absolutely everything to do with it. But I don't think that we can stop it because it's not just on one device. It's literally everywhere. I love that answer because I even taking social media breaks is super important, too. But our last question here, just to wrap this whole thing up because we could quite literally talk forever about this because it's something that deserves yeah, that. I'm watching the time. I'm oh, God. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm ready. My brain. <laughs> I know it's hard, to, especially with this thing, especially because we're all passionate about it. And, and unfortunately, it's not changing in any capacity. But that's what leads into our last question here is, do we think we're at a point that we can make impactful change 
or do we think this is going to continue on it? And then what's what's the end point here? For me, we talked about in episode one and even at the beginning of this episode, and you touched on it too. I personally think until the people that are in charge of helping change, making meaningful change, I, I do think until it hits home, people don't care. You touched on, we see this through COVID. We've seen the selfishness of the American people firsthand. If it doesn't affect me, Personally, I don't care if it does affect me. I'm only going to take care of myself and I don't give I'm a shit. I'm going to buy all the toilet paper and nobody else will have any. That was the crazy. That's America. It's just so that. I would say we might favorite part of the pandemic, like peak toilet paper, Tiger King era. Motherfuckers were just going out, getting in fights over stuff. It was like, it's my last thing of yogurt. What? <laughs> You're crazy. Yeah, there's an Elmo meme where in the back, he's sitting on the potty and in the background, there's a nuclear bomb, there's a toilet paper roll, trying to explain what those years were. Not explainable. I I don't know. How does everybody else feel? I want to hear your guys first. (laughs) As I was writing this question, I actually was, I was sad because I was thinking about it. You know what? At this point, what do we do? What do we tell these kids? No, I don't think it's right that they're doing active school shooter drills every day. But at the same time, what am I going to tell you? You shouldn't do that. I feel by the time we have kids, which is coming up probably pretty soon if we do, by the time my kids are old enough to go to school, I feel I'm going to be packing them a lunch every single day with a little note with a bulletproof vest on. That's what I feel we're getting to. You're going to pack a strap in their lunchbox in case I know we're kidding, but I almost feel like that's legitimately what's going to happen. It feels like we're just escalating to a point where they already do make bulletproof backpacks for kids. It's gotten to that point where it's like, I could have never, if you asked me 10 years ago, I would say the last thing on earth I would do is homeschool my kid ever, never, ever, ever. I'd rather peel the skin off of my body. Not because I don't want to do it, but because I... I feel like I was rare in this, but I really enjoyed my high school experience. I loved my friends. I loved being in that social environment. And now I feel like that's getting ripped away and robbed from kids. Now, if you ask me, I don't want to put my kid anywhere near school. I barely want to take them to the movie theater. I don't want to take them grocery shopping. At this point, church and temple, they're not going. We're not going anywhere because we can't leave our house without fear that we're going to get shot up every three minutes. As I'm sure you guys can tell, I'm just frustrated that until everyone experiences a loss from this violence, I don't see change. America's one big black hole and it's people are too selfish, only care about themselves, make up these weird roles in their minds and then stick to them hardcore because we're stubborn. I unfortunately, I don't see a change. I'm hoping that in my lifetime, I'll see change. I'm hoping to God in my lifetime or in my great grandkids lifetime, we can see a day where We can go back to school and have recess and not have to go through metal detectors and not have to have this crazy military-esque situation in order to get our kids an education, which might Jules add on the last episode, we're forced to do anyways. We can't feed our kids. We can't have tampons. We are forced to have babies. Then we're forced to send them to school where they'll likely die. Soon we're going to probably have a draft because no one wants to join the military anymore because that's not working. They're all unwell. (laughs) <laughs> not doing right up but no those are my thoughts i don't think things are gonna get better for a while but i'm hoping about that you? Okay, they will what about you jules i'm gonna have a pack of homeschool jungle freaks i could see it i'm with it actually i have the skills i can teach them i, 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 I can raise a mini army bro 
it's just scary. Everything scares me. My thoughts are that we are living in a dystopian state and that we're living in a tragic era where people have accepted the fact that the death of children is more agreeable and acceptable than reforming laws or reducing freedoms. It goes back to, I, even as a kid, I remember having, a, I wrote an essay, don't make fun of me, it got published. <laughs> it was about whether or not the government should be able to tap into people's phones and internet searches, the Patriot Act. I remember thinking, I'd rather have the security of knowing that they're not going to allow another 9-11 to happen than to be nervous about the fact that, oh, the government's listening in on my, my cell phone calls. I say plenty of shit that could probably get me indicted. Haven't been indicted yet. Nothing that I've been indicted tomorrow. (laughs) As Lisa said, I'm terrified. As Jules said, as we are just unfortunately in a place where we have to tell our kids to be prepared for anything, including the worst, including going to school today and having to duck and cover under your desk, hide in a closet. Hell, maybe learn how to fire a gun. Honestly, I'm not a big proponent of guns, but I said to my brother after the Uvalde shooting happened, Actually, it was right after I watched Matt McConaughey's video about it. Uh, I said, I'd like to go to the range, bro. Let's go shooting. And he said, yeah, there's one not that far. I was like, not that I'll necessarily want to or have to, but I'd rather be proficient with a gun in case I ever need to. That's where we stand. Unfortunately, it's starting to shift to the point where even people like myself are saying things. In this case, if we're not going to change everybody's mind, then strap the fuck up. Why not? That's a good turn. Honestly, though, I, that's that's a seriously. Everybody uh, starts off strong, and then it just spirals for a minute. I watch you guys go through all of these emotions. All your dog. I'm not therapizing you or anything. I'm just genuinely enjoying your company. I just watched everybody really thought they knew how they felt about it, and the way and it was fuck guns. I'm gonna go get seven. How right. awesome is that? That's psychology. Earlier, Lisa had mentioned: Is it fear that drives us to do things? As we just. <laughs> psychology looked at with Matt was I need to not buy a gun but I'm going to do the step before it which is learn how to use it because I might need it so we we just cracked the code guys right there it happened no this has been a beautiful two episode two part series I'm curious what our listeners think as always Gab, thank you so much for yes, well, for all of us when I say you are invited back. But really, thank you so much, Matt. Great research into the case. We'll definitely have to deep dive some of these cases a little more, especially because there are a lot of conspiracy theories and theories in general around a lot of them. They're worth digging into deeper, but the overall general conversation is super important to have first because this is an issue. Unfortunately, by the time this episode comes out, I fear that we're going to have more to talk about, which is really disturbing. As Gab mentioned, I've gone through all five stages of grief or however many stages of grief are during this. all need to self-care. I'm about to take a long bow bath. But listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if somehow you caught us here on part two but haven't checked out part one, definitely go take a listen. But rate, review, subscribe. Everybody do some self-care. Get yourself whatever. I was saying whatever advice you need. Mine's a bubble bath. Although, do I have the energy to get in one? Maybe not. I might just go right to snooze down. But I'm happy with that. Everybody, it's been super real. Really, really, really real.
been it's been very intense. I'm gonna go cry on my shower floor for a few hours. Oh my god, that's okay if you do. That's okay. Men can cry. It is okay. We'd probably have a lot less school shooters if we allowed them to. Amen. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.